passage of Scripture that commands our interest and attention today is the second chapter of 1 John, beginning at verse 3. 1 John, the epistle of John, the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. had an opportunity to um, visit one of the uh, largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention last weekend. It's always good to go and uh, get new sermons and uh, see how other people do it, you know. And uh, it's, But it's always uh, good to come home to the people that you know and love. And I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I haven't found any place any better I'm still looking, but I, uh, I haven't found any, any place any better than and right here in Duran, America. And it's good to be back here. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him at all. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked, he, Jesus, walked. Now, the predominant phrase of this passage is, He who says, He who says. The apostle has been listening to some God talk. He is an observer of religious profession. He's been listening to people tell of their experiences with God. You can almost see him in a testimony meeting. And, and everybody's standing up, you know, when their turn comes to give their testimonies of how God has blessed them and, and what their experiences with God have been. And when one finishes, everybody, you know, says in chorus, Amen. And there's, you know, enthusiasm and excitement. Some even applaud as these people give their testimony, as they do their God talk. And John is an observer of that. And you can just kind of see him sitting over to the side with his arms folded like some skeptic. And you can just kind of see his jaundiced eye as he looks at these folks who are giving their testimonies. And, and he's saying, that sounds good. I like that. But I don't know, that's not enough for me. I'm going to put your testimony to the test. Every testimony needs to be tested. It's just not enough for you to stand to say you have these experiences with God. Every testimony should be tested. What John is asking for and what the Bible is requiring is that, that one's testimony be tested that, that when one tells of his experience with God, that experience should be substantiated with a consistent life. And if it is not, then, according, then, then for John, we're just liars, and the truth is not in us at all. Several years ago, many years ago, Fritz Chrysler came to Amarillo. You've probably heard this story. 
Fritz Chrysler, the famous violinist, came for a concert in Amarillo. Now, Amarillo was a cow town, just a country and western uh, town. Everybody wore cowboy hats and cowboy boots, and to have Fritz Chrysler to come for a concert was kind of unusual for Cowtown Amarillo. And he brought his Stradivari with him. It was priceless. It was, uh, it, there was no way to put a price on that violin. And the man who possessed it even gave it a, a deeper um, a value. And so everybody was kind of uptight about Fritz Chrysler coming to Cowtown Amarillo. And security was placed under the responsibility of the sheriff's department. And they were responsible to keep uh, everything safe and sound, especially Fritz Chrysler and that Stradivari violin. And when he got to Amarillo and checked into his hotel, he got ready for his afternoon walk. And he always took a little walk before his concert in the evening. And he went down to check his violin into the safe at the hotel and found out they didn't have one. And so rather than leaving his Stradivari in his hotel room, he decided he'd take it with him. Now down Polk Street walks Fritz Chrysler with his Hamburg hat, had his violin case in hand with his name on it. And there's this Barney Fight type um, deputy who, who has been told, you better, you know, let's be sure and, be, and, and keep security so that uh, Fritz Chrysler has no problems in Amarillo. We don't want to, uh, you know, present a bad name to the whole nation. So here's Fritz Chrysler. He always walked double, double pace like a, like a slow jog. And he was turning down Polk Street, down an alleyway with a Hamburg hat and his violin case just as Barney Fight came around the corner and saw him. Now, if you're thinking in terms of, i got to uh, provide security for Fritz Chrysler, and you're thinking with Barney Fight's mind, here's this guy in a Hamburg hat, and the rationale is nobody, not even Fritz Chrysler, would walk down Amarillo in the afternoon heat that fast with a violin unless something, you know, shady was in hand. And so he blocked the alley and put him under arrest put the handcuffs on and said, we're going in. He said, well, I'm Fritz Chrysler. He said, sure you are. And I'm, you know, I'm President Garfield, that kind of a thing. So he started to haul him in and Fritz Chrysler said, if you'll give me a chance, I'll prove it. He said, right over across the street, there in that, uh, on Polk Street, there's a music shop still there. Had all these jackets and records and publicity about Fritz Chrysler going to sell some of his records. He said, if you'll give me a chance, I'll prove that I'm Fritz Chrysler. So they went in the record shop. Fritz Chrysler said, do you have any records handy of Fritz Chrysler? And the clerk said, of course we do. And he went back and got one of those 78 RPM, you know, waxes, those hard uh, records. You, 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 some of us know those real well. Some of you have never seen them except in museums. He got one of those records and put it on a, on a phonograph and started to play. Fritz Chrysler raised his violin case lid and pulled out that Stradivari and everybody gasped when they saw it. And he put it under his chin and as that record began to play that concert music, Fritz Chrysler began to draw his bow across that violin and the sound that came from the violin matched the sound that came from the phonograph. All that John is asking of any of us is, that the testimony be matched with the practice, that it be tested to see if it's really authentic, to see if it can be substantiated. Now, there are three testimonies in this passage of Scripture, and there are three tests. 
that He puts to each one of them. I want you to notice them and see if the sound that comes from the lips is matched by the sound that comes from the life. The first testimony is found in verse 4, and the testimony is this. I know Him. I know the Lord. And he's talking about the basic of, of Christian faith, knowing God. I mean, that's the fundamental, basic uh, characteristic or aspect of the Christian faith. Germane to theological discussion about Christianity is, I know the Lord. Now, that wasn't an unusual boast because knowledge of God was a favorite theme of ancient religions. There were people everywhere claiming to know the Lord. As a matter of fact, the book of 1 John was written because of Gnosticism. Now, the Gnostics, the word Gnostic comes from the the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge or wisdom. These heretics, this heresy that was rampant in that ancient world like a bad disease... Declared, these folks declared, we know God, and what they meant by their knowledge of God was that they had this kind of a mystical experience or this direct vision of the divine, and for some, knowledge of God meant some kind of knowledge of an esoteric myth into which these elite had been initiated, and they were saying, sure, we know God, we have this superior knowledge of Him. I mean, it was a favorite theme of ancient religion. And so when they talked about knowledge of God, they were talking about religious attainment. They were saying, in essence, we've climbed the ladder of religious mysticism and intellectualism, and we have a knowledge of God. I've seen some modern-day Gnostics, haven't you? I'm talking about some on Sunday night in our treatment of Mormonism. A few years ago, I was flying out of Spokane, working in the Northwest, and I, I sat down on a crowded plane... There were a few seats left available for 90 Japanese tourists who were on a tour of America, and they were at the World's Fair in Spokane, and they got on the plane to take the last seats. They were the last ones on, and and there was an empty seat between me and a a real uh, preppy-looking guy sitting over by the the window, and, and the tour guide had that seat. Now, as the plane began to taxi down the runway, you know, I, I was thinking, here I am in the northwest doing mission work, and, and there's one sitting right by me. So I began to talk to her about Christ, about Christianity, as we began to taxi out. And lo and behold, she said, I, my parents are Buddhist, and said, I don't embrace that religion. I'm from Japan. But she said, I'm studying Christianity with a Southern Baptist missionary. Now, isn't that amazing? And so I just whipped out my little how to, have a full, how to Have a Full and Meaningful Life track written by a Southern Baptist. And I began to share it with her. And, and, and I noticed this preppy-looking guy sitting over next to the window. Our plane headed for, heading for Seattle by that time. He just jumped in on the conversation. Now, this is what he was, believe it or not. He was a Buddhist. He had just come from Japan, he said, where he'd been on a kind of a special retreat for the Shinsho Buddhist religion. And he was the head of that religious group in, north, in the northwest in Canada. And he began to tell us how he knew God and how a person comes to know God. And as he described it, it was this kind of an intellectual exercise. And you take these steps past one stage to the next until you're kind of ushered into this superior knowledge of God, this uh, Buddhist nirvana or heaven or whatever. 
And, and, and so the, here we were, one seeker, one Southern Baptist, and one Buddhist, and we were all talking about knowing God. Now here were these people in, in this ancient world to whom this epistle is addressed, these converted Jews who were saying, we know God through direct revelation, by, uh, the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, and John says, that's just fine, that's the way you know God, but we need to put that testimony to the test. Do you keep His commandments? Now watch this. If you say, he said, that you know God and you do not keep His commandments, then the truth does not abide in you. You are through and through a phony. Now I, 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 didn't, have, I didn't say that. I'm just repeating, you see. For, for the way we can test our faith, the way a sign of the knowledge of God is obedience to His commandments and a recognition of the way of life God expects from His people. That's the test. For example, when Hosea said, complained, that there was a lack of knowledge in the land, he followed it immediately by saying, there is swearing profanity on their lips, there is lying and cheating, that is dishonesty among the people. There is killing a disrespect for human life and the committing of adultery. And Hosea says, how can you say that you know God if these things are in your life? Now what do we mean by keeping His commandments? Do we mean that we keep the Ten Commandments and never break any of them? No, the word keep means... To keep a watchful eye upon, it means to chart the course of your life by. It was used of ancient sailors as they would chart their life by the stars. They would keep a watchful eye on the stars, and so they traveled at night. And if there was this storm that would come and cover up the stars, then oftentimes they would drift, and the next, the next night they would have to adjust their course by the stars. It's, it's, it's like a man who takes off on a vacation... And, and, he, and, and before he leaves, he calls the, 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 the travel agent or, or the, the auto club and says, mark me out on a map the, the course that I'm to take to the New England. And I want to go the most scenic route. And then give me an alternate map of how to get there the quickest in case I need to hasten my pace. And when he gets that map, he doesn't just put it in the glove compartment and never look at it, just taking the turns that, 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 that seem to show the best, the best roads available. He keeps that map on the front seat of the car and he guides his course, he charts his course according to the map. Now what John is saying is this, that if you say you know the Lord in the basic experience of salvation, why is God's Word in the glove compartment or on the shelf? And why aren't you charting your life after His Word, after His commandments? And the word is in the present tense, and it means continuous, habitual practice. Now, 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 follow me closely. It doesn't mean that we live perfectly, but it does mean, and we're going to backslide and get off the track sometime, but it does mean this, that if a person really knows the Lord, he charters the course of his life, he keeps a watchful eye and follows the commandments of Jesus, of God. That's the test. Second testimony is this. It's found in verse 5. It says, the testimony is, we are in Him. 
Now that refers to a, to, a, to a deeper experience, to a more intimate relationship with the Lord. It goes beyond just knowing Him. It, it means that I have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It, it, it means He's the environment of my life. It's like the um, youth musical that we presented here a couple of years ago, uh, Celebrate Life. He's the air I, 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 I... He's the wind I soar on. He's the... Um, he's the grass I run through. He's the sea I swim in. It's what the Apostle Paul was saying when he said, For me to live is Christ. I am in Him. I, he's the environment of my life. He's the air I breathe. I, I'm, I'm, I'm next to Him. I have a personal relationship with Christ. Now that's their testimony. Great testimony. Man, I've had this experience, and I'm just really walking with the Lord, and I'm just, He's just the environment of my life. The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John says, that's just great, but now I'm going to put that testimony to a test. If He is the air you breathe, and the sea you swim in, and the grass you run through, and the wind you soar on, if you really have this close relationship with the Lord, then, He said, this is the test. You will keep His Word now, it's different from keeping His commandments. It's, it's, it goes beyond that, that uh, test. Just as the testimony goes beyond the first, the test goes beyond the first. Now, I'm going to have to get you to help me here a little bit. I want to see what He means by keeping His Word. I want you to turn just one page to the third chapter of 1 John and look at verse 22. He says, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. Does that sound familiar? If you've been awake, if you were just awake, right at the first, you remember, you heard that I said you, you keep His commandments. He said, if you... He hears what we ask if we keep His commandments and... So He's talking about something beyond that and... Do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, what does it mean to keep His Word? It means to do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, let me show you how it works. Here, here's a man who calls little Johnny in. Johnny's a 10-year-old, 12-year-old boy, and he's going to give him his assignment, his, his uh, uh, chore for the day. He said, now, Johnny... Today, I need you to carry out all the garbage, carry out all the trash. That's your, your chore, your assignment for today. He's giving him a commandment to follow. And so when he comes in in the afternoon, Johnny comes up to him. He says, Daddy, I, I did like you told me to. I kept your commandment. I carried out the trash. Well, that's great. That's good. Proud of you, Johnny. Johnny goes beyond that. He says... But while I was out carrying out the trash, I noticed that the neighbor's trash had blown out of their, their garbage can and gotten on our yard. And so I knew that it would please you that, that you would want me to pick up that trash. So I picked up that trash. And he said, while I was out in the alley, Dad, I noticed that our wood pile, somebody had been playing on it, and, and a lot of the logs had fallen off into the alley. And, and so I got all the wood, and, and I piled it up in a straight pile, and I fixed that because I knew that that would please you. I knew you'd want me to do that. 
and, and then on the way back into the house with, my, with the garbage that I'd carried out, the garbage pan I carried out, I noticed that, that some of the grass had grown up there and, and I knew we needed to edge. And, and Saturday's the edging day, but it's just getting so big. I, I got the edger and I, I, did the, I did the edging of the lawn because I knew that would please you. Now, after the, after the father was revived from, you know, from, from fainting, uh, he, he puts his arm around Johnny and he says, you know, son, he says, I'm so proud of you. You know, what made the father the happier? When his son did what he commanded or when he did what pleased the father? Well, of course, the latter. He did what pleased him and it pleased him. Now, the test is this. You say you're in the Lord and you have a relationship with Him. Do you go beyond the commandment, that is, you keeping His commandments, to do those things which please Him? Is that a priority with your life, in your life? I mean, the desire just to please the Lord. Now, there are three motives of obedience. We can obey because we have to, because we need to, because we want to. Now, a slave obeys his master because he has to. He's going to be punished if he doesn't. An employee may obey his employer because he needs to. He may not like the job, but he needs the money. He, needs, he, likes, the, he likes the paycheck. And he knows he's going to have to do that if he you know, feeds his family. And so he obeys his employer because he needs to. Then there is this loving son who obeys because he wants to. And what he wants to do is to please his father and never bring any uh, 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 unhappiness in his father's life. Now, what John is talking about is the latter. Is coming to the place where we have such a beautiful relationship with God, really and truly are in Him, and the test of that relationship is that our whole life is to please Him. I want to please the Lord. Um, I think I can illustrate it. I, 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 yeah, I do have time. I, I was doing some Bible study this week. I found this. Would you, would you turn with me to, to uh, Luke 17? I want to show you something. Now, now don't, don't look on your neighbor and, and nudge your wife and say, you turn and read that and I'll take your word for it. We're going to all look at this. Uh, uh, Luke 17, uh, you know, uh, it, just, it just nails down. It's the kicker of what I'm trying to say at point two. Look at this chapter 17, verse 1. He said to his disciples... It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. I mean, it's bad to sin. You cause somebody else to sin, you're in big trouble, Sam. Be on your guard if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, you, you forgive if he repents... Then he says, if he sins against you seven times and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent. I mean, even if he says it, don't mean it, you forgive him. Now look what the disciples do. They say, Lord, increase our faith. What an intellectual perception, what a grasp. For they knew that without faith in the Lord, they couldn't do that impossible thing. Now watch what Jesus does with it. And the Lord said, if you had faith, it's not the quantity that counts. If you had faith of grain of, like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Or you have, if you had the quality of faith, you could just say to that, that mulberry tree, get up and go in there and fall in the river, and it'd do it. 
But which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Here comes these slaves in from the field and he says, The master doesn't tell them to sit down, I'll give you something to eat. Before they are able to even rest, he says, The master has the authority and the right to say to them, You, you give me something to eat and they do it. They do it. They're obedient to his command. Watch this. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We hadn't arrived yet. We're not there yet. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Now watch me carefully. I think that what Jesus is teaching those disciples and thus these disciples sitting in this place this morning is this. If you're ever going to get to the realm of, of, the, of, of life where you're in the move mountain realm, move tree realm, if you ever get to the place where there is more to your life and your Christian life than just the, the, the ordinary, to you get, if you're ever going to get to the miracle realm of living, you're going to have to develop a relationship with God that goes beyond just doing what you're expected or supposed to do. The move mountain realm comes when we develop a relationship with God that lives to please Him. And when that happens, that kind of faith produces the unusual effect in our lives. That's the test. Third testimony. We're nearly through. Take heart. We are, we're nearly there. Third testimony is this. Is found in verse 6, and it's we abide in Him. We abide in Him. Now what he's saying in that testimony is, we, we are permanently at home in the Lord. I mean, we are permanently grounded in Him. I'm at home in Him. In other words, the guy is saying, if I, will really, if I really want to feel at home, if I really want to kick my shoes off, and really feel comfortable, I just get with the Lord. I mean, we, I'm at home. I abide in Him. I'm permanently lodged there. And there is no deeper fellowship or dependence upon God than is described in that phrase, we abide in Him. There, it's absolute dependence upon the Lord. It's day by day yielding to Him. It's trusting in Him day by day. That was the testimony. Now, John said, okay, we're going to put that to a test. You say you have that relationship, that experience? This is the test. You ought also to walk as He walked. Now, I need to do a little word study with you. Watch this. When He says, you ought to walk, He's talking about manner of life, lifestyle. When He uses the word ought, it's the Greek word that means to be in debt. It means duty bound. It means necessity imposed. Even as, he's saying, even as is in the way described. All right, you got those three meanings. It is in the present, it is the present, the words, the phrase to walk is the present infinitive, which means continuous, habitual, day by day, unbroken pattern that leaves no room for, uh, for spasmodic, you know, are uh, broken, are 
are inconsistent or infrequent. It's day by day unbroken. Now, let's put it all together. He says, you, are, you say you're permanently at home in the Lord? Then the manner of your life ought to be day by day, continually, just like Him. Just like Him. You see, the real test of religious experience is, does it produce a reflection of Jesus, even as He, you see? Now, we see that other places. John says we ought to walk in the light even as He is in the light. He said we ought to purify ourselves even as He is pure. And it's extremely practical. I mean, you can make it, you can put it in Nike tennis shoes. It's just, day, it's, it's up to date. Uh, you wonder how you're to, what you're to do when a, an, an, a, when a believer, when a Christian uh, uh, hurts you or does something wrong to you? Why, why the answer is there. He says, we ought, we, we ought to forgive them as, for, for, as God, for Christ's sake, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. He says, love husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. I mean, that's the pattern. You say you're abiding in Christ, then is the manner of your life like Him? In the first test, we obey Him. In the second test, we please Him. In the third test, we are like Him. Now, it needs to be said right quickly that He's not talking about imitating Christ. He's not talking about that at all. Oh, my soul, what a disservice some of us have brought to theological discussion by saying that the heart of germane to Christianity is imitating Jesus. Just find out what Jesus did and do that. I mean, that, that book, the bestseller, In His Steps, you know, it's a great book to read, but it has done more disservice to genuine Christian thought than any other book, I suppose. Because what it says is, you just find out what Jesus is doing, just do that, just imitate Him. And, and it, with, with the equipment we have as human beings, we can't imitate Jesus. You can't do that. It'd be like saying to a cripple, I want you to play baseball like a, like a superstar. I mean, he'd try, and we'd have to give him an E for effort, but he'd fail nonetheless because he's not equipped to do that. He's not able to do that. You can't imitate Jesus. So, you say, so you're asking, well, then how is, is it that my manner of life is to be like his? Well, the answer is found in the test, and that's what makes it exciting because if you really abide in Christ, you will be like him. I mean, the test gives us the clue. He, it's not by imitation, but by incarnation. It, it, just like the branch receives its life by, being, by, 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 uh, by remaining with the vine, he's saying the way you become like Jesus Christ is that you abide in Him. That is, you live in dependence upon Him. You, you live in, in, in submission to Him. You trust Him day by day. You abide in Him. It's by incarnation. Now watch this. You will become like the one who becomes the significant other in your life. I need to say that again. You will become like the one who becomes the significant other in your life. 
Now, there is one significant person in your life, and that's you. I mean, who do you like better than you? <laughs> See. There, but in every life, there is a significant other. Who is that significant other? And you will become like that significant other. Now watch. If the significant other of your life is Jesus Christ, you will become like Him. If you have an intimate, continual, consistent relationship with somebody, you'll become like that person. If, it's, if, she, if he or she is gracious, you will become gracious. If he or she is loving, you'll become loving. I've seen it happen jillions of times, and so have you. I can give you an illustration of it, and it will be the end of this sermon. Some of our neighbors were our closest friends in the church I pastored. In fact, their son was named Gerald and he had the same birthday as mine. Now, that's pretty unusual, isn't it? I can see you're totally underwhelmed by that, but uh, I figured if, if, they were, you know, if they had that much in common, we ought to get to know those folks. And uh, so they had this daughter. She was pretty rebellious, and, and uh, these people were concerned about her, and they were anxious about her, and she didn't respond to their, their love and their care and their uh, Christianity, etc., and we were just talking one day. I said, well, I'll tell you what's going to happen to her. She's going to fall in love with some old boy one of these days. And he's going to change her whole attitude, outlook, and perspective. And that's what happened. She met this guy in uh, Granbury, Texas. And they fell in love. He was just the best old boy there ever was. Came from a wonderful Christian home. And he was a godly young man. And, and just a gentle and polite and kind. And you know what happened? She just began to be just like him. And the closer they became in their relationship, the, 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 the more they got to know each other, the more she began to be like him. Now, you say that you're abiding in Christ. Are you becoming like him? That's the test. I know him. Do you keep his commandments? I am in Him. Do you do those things that please Him? I abide in Him. Are you being like Him? All He wants... Would you hear this? All He wants you to do is to allow Him to transform you into His likeness. Would you let Him begin to do that? Let's pray together. Father, we know that our testimony really doesn't mean that much unless it is substantiated, validated, and authenticated by our practice, the consistency of our life. I pray that you'll bring today to bear, to reality, one or two specific things, Father, I pray that you'll convict the lost of their lostness. That they have not been saved, they do not know the Lord. And will bring grace to bear, courage and faith for salvation. And I pray you'll bring conviction to us, Father, who give testimony but can't pass the test. 
help us to see that there have been times when we did keep the commandments, did those things pleasing, were abiding, but we drifted away. Remind us of what it was like. Cause us to begin again. And I pray that this specific prayer this morning, Lord, that some would join our church today because they're doing what you want them to do. This is our request in Jesus' name. Now we're going to give invitation this morning for you to come. To come claiming Jesus' salvation, His gift of eternal life for you. Come for renewing of life, rededication of life, or to join our church. Would you do that as God leads you to do it? I told someone recently, just ask the Lord, Does he, do you want me to do that? And if He says yes to your heart, then you just do it. And we're going to stand and wait for you to come. And we're just praying that you will. We're going to rejoice with you if you do. Would you come while we stand to sing?